Okay, good to see everyone. Okay, uh, so to start off with, I need a volunteer. Miriam, would you come up and help me? Would you come and stand right here? Okay, right here, I have four heavy rocks. Can you lift all four of those up in the air at the same time for us? Oh, watch your fingers, watch your fingers. Can you do all four? Oh, she's got one. That's really good. Did she get all four? Okay, that's good. That's good. Wow, that is some good effort right there, huh? Good job. Way to go. Oh, you got dirty too. All right. She, she had a really, really good effort. Way better than I expected. You're a tough cookie, huh? Yeah. Okay, but she didn't get all four of them at the same time, did she? Hang on, Jeremiah. She didn't get all four, did she? So that wasn't going to work too well. Do you think there's a way for her to be able to get all four of those rocks up in the air at the same time? What if she was to ask for some help or get some help from others? Do you think that might work if you got help from others? From the strongest. Okay, so we need some strong people to come on up and be helpers. And since you work so hard, the, the, why don't you pick up that little one? Leave that big heavy one for the, the... Okay, come on up, guys. Let's see if we can get them all up in the air at the same time. If you want to help, go ahead. Don't drop them. You don't have to do it above your head either. I don't want to... Okay, we got one up. We got two up. We got three up. We need one more up. Oh, get it up there. All right, all four of them at the same time. Way to go. Okay, set them down carefully. Way to go. Good job. Set them down carefully. Good job, you guys. Wonderful. All right, you can sit back down. Whew, that was some good work there. Way to go. All right. Now, something like this, what we just did, happened in the Bible. Did you know that? Something like this happened. In our passage today, uh, we're going to read about Moses. Now, think in your minds. Do you remember Moses? Moses helped lead the people out of slavery in Egypt, remember? And then he, the, God gave the Ten Commandments through Moses to the people. Remember that, Moses? Well, after they left Egypt, but before they got the Ten Commandments, all the people were coming to Moses. They were trying to figure out how they live for God now that they're not in slavery anymore, now that they were free. And they were bringing all of their questions to him and all of their conflicts and all of their disagreements. They were coming to Moses to get help with all those things, trying to know how they should live now that they're free to live to honor and worship God. And do you know what happened? It was too much for Moses. He was only one person. And there were like hundreds of thousands of people coming to him. It was too much for him. It was too overwhelming, similar to how the four rocks were too overwhelming for Miriam. She did a great job with one. She picked the heaviest one too. So she did great. But it was all four of them were just too much. She had to share the load, didn't she? So then with Moses, he was, all these people were coming to him. It was just too, too much, too overwhelming. And then there was a wise older man, his father-in-law, who came to him, who came to Moses and said, Moses, this is not good. This is too much for you. You can't do all of this alone. You need other men to help you with this task. And so Moses followed that person's, his father-in-law's advice. He followed the advice and set up other men to help lead all these people. And these men helped everyone to know how to live to honor God and worship God. This is similar to the church today. God has given us men in the church that we call elders, right? Many of them were just up on the stage. He has given elders to lead the church and to help others know 
how to live for God and how to honor God. And so the elders also can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ as well. Because this would be too much for one person, right? If we had everybody in our church coming to one person, that would be way too much. It would be too overwhelming. And so God has given multiple people, multiple men, to help with that, right? And so we don't want to overwhelm one person like Miriam was overwhelmed or Moses was overwhelmed. We have many people. And so God has given you older people, elders and older people in your life who follow Jesus, so that they can help you learn and grow. You can learn and grow from them. As you look to them, they can help you grow in your relationship with Jesus as well. All right? So thanks for coming up. Pastor Jeremy's going to come and preach more now. Well, thanks, Pastor Jeff. I don't know if you guys saw, but we had Lynn and Aaron up here, and in the back, uh, Terry and Ian are running, so the whole Drusher family's in charge of our service, which is, which is good. No, it's good. It's neat to see family serving together. That's cool. We are in uh, Exodus chapter 18. If you would turn in the Bibles, in your Bibles, or if you need a Bible, there's some in the seat in front of you. Exodus, second book in the Bible, and uh, chapter 18. Uh, verse 13 to the end. I think you're all aware of what's happened in the last week in our nation. We had the election of two senators from Georgia who are themselves wicked. Uh, they're evil. And then uh, on top of it, the unrest in D.C., um, those foolish people who entered and tried to take over the Capitol, or at least I don't know what they were doing. And, and then, of course, the certification of the election by Congress. And so how are we supposed to think about these things? How, as a church, are we to respond? In First Timothy 2, we see that one response always in relation to the civil authority is to pray, that we could live quiet and peaceful lives. And so please do continue in prayer and pray. I know we're gathering in small groups, many groups this afternoon or evening, and then some this week. I think the elders are going to be taking parts of those group time to pray for this. In Philippians 1, we see to live as Christ. So make it your aim to live for Christ. We, I think, want hope for reform in our nation, and we talk a lot about things like that, but we may at the same time neglect our own walk with Christ, and so we don't um, rule our own lives, but we demand that the government rule a certain way, or we don't, um, as husbands or as fathers and mothers, take care of our own family and, and lead it in Christ, but we demand change in our government, and so we, as Christians, need to consistently focus on our own walk with the Lord and our households. And then, of course, we need hope in Christ. He is Lord. This is nothing new to the law. This isn't... Much of what is happening is opposed to the law of God, but the eternal law of God is still reigning and ruling. And so we do have great hope as Christians. We don't give way to fear. Um, and yet, 
there is need for lament. What is going on in our nation and its degradation is discouraging. And we don't need to put on a happy face about it either. Uh, this is not good. And there's a time for honesty. Um, I know those, there are many who think what happened this past Tuesday was an attempt to overturn the election illegally, and yet um, I think the last four years have been an attempt to do that. We've had a deep state and media and political opponents who wickedly tried to undo President Trump's election. There was an unwillingness to forcefully end the riots this past summer and in some ways encourage them. And at the same time, they're calling out President Trump, I think rightfully for what he's done. And then, of course, we live in a nation where in 2020, 41 million unborn children were murdered in their mother's womb. And, and many in the political realm think that that should be legal even all the way up to the moment before birth. And so we live in a lawless society. We live in a society where the rule of law, except for political expediency, no longer reigns and rules. And so Christians, whose hope in his Christ, we sing. That's what we do. That's what God's people have always done. We gather to sing, to call on him. We rejoice in all things as believers, even this, because God does and will work all things for our good, and whatever he's doing is always that which will bring him most glory and that which will lead to more people entering his kingdom. And so we see with eyes of faith and opportunity to stand for truth and proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so we do not despair at all. And yet we as God's people do need to respond with faith. And so this will be, it looks like under the administration, an opportunity to exercise your faith in ways that you maybe haven't had to before. And so have faith. Be in God's word. Gather to worship. Bring your troubled hearts to those who love you and can give you counsel because you and I do need to respond with faith, assurance that God is God and his promises are true and we can hope in him. Now, one of the things I've been thinking about this past week is I had planned a four-week sermon series on elders. That idea came out of the lots of good questions and discussions from our bylaws, many of which has been asked about elders. I thought this would be a good time to do some teaching on elders. And yet then with everything happened the past week, my thought is, will this sermon series be helpful to you? Do I need to set it aside and do something else? What, can, what sermons might we need? What prayers do we need to pray? What personally can I or we as elders be doing for you? Um, and I think this sermon series is still right, so I'm going to go forward with it. And here are a couple of reasons why. In the church... Um, as you've heard, elders and pastors along with deacons are given to you to protect you, to lead you, to care for you, um, to deal with conflicts among you. We are given to you by God to shepherd you. And so even though things like what's going on in our world, or even through things like what's going on in our world, we're given to you. And so this subject is timely. We'll need, every church will need godly shepherds and elders. Uh, also, in Exodus 18, where we see 
um, in many ways, the people of God of the Old Testament being formed, Israel, at the very beginning of it, elders are formed. And then at the end of it, in the New Testament, as Paul, the Apostle Paul, faced certain death, the last thing he wrote about is church leadership. And uh, the governance of the church, obviously, at the beginning and the end, is foremost on the mind of God for God's people. Why? Because the church will go where its leaders go. And the leadership of the church, elders, pastors, deacons, focuses mainly on the character of those leaders. So this is a good opportunity to remind us of the need for godly character in a day where our leaders in the civil realm often have the opposite. And the church must be different, being led by godly, humble men and church mothers. This is not only a call to men to godly character, but to the women of the church as well. Uh, Younger women can have older women to go to as they consider what the future is for their children, which is what moms care more about than anything else. And so I think this is apt, this sermon series. And then... The issue in our culture is authority. I know that that topic comes up a lot, and for some of you, too much. And yet it is really all over Scripture. And sin has so degraded us and so warped us that we really do. Our fleshly response to any authority is to bucket. Um, even the most humble among us struggle. And I think one of the one of the surprising things in this text is that Moses takes advice from his father-in-law. <laughs> it's really something. I've worked with my father-in-law doing various projects, and whenever he tells me advice, and he's usually right because he's done carpentry and so on, so much more of my initial response is, what do you know? I know what I'm doing. Um, and, and so... We as Christians do care about this. We have God as Father. All authority and under Him is given by Him. And yet wives against husbands, workers against superiors, children against parents, members against elders. This series isn't really about submission to authority. But in a day with all that is going around us, this is a, a topic that needs to be addressed. Hearing from God's word about the goodness of godly, loving authority, the limits of it, should be helpful for you. So I hope you have faith for this. So this first sermon aims to address the beginnings of eldership in the Bible. Where did it get founded? Um, What are the main uh, purposes of it? What's it for? And that's what we're going to look at today in Exodus 18, 13 to 27 which I'm going to read now. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. Picture DMV. (laughs) That's for for you, Amanda. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. (laughs) 
And Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you are doing is not good. You, I, tell you, I think Moses is a man of incredible faith. What would you have done if your mother or father-in-law had said that to you after working all day? You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. Another thing you should never say, right? Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, and place such men over the people, uh, men who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times, every matter, every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Wow. Moses chose Abel. Men out of all Israel made them heads of the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Let's pray. Father, teach us to hope in your words. Give us comfort from your promises. May we never forget your statutes. All of your commandments are solid, they're sure, and yet this world often hates them. May we never forsake your precepts. In your steadfast love, give us life that we may keep the testimonies of your mouth. Amen. So this text is the, be, the biblical beginnings of the office of eldership, and so it's the source from which church government flows. The context here is Israel has just been led out of slavery in Egypt. They've gathered before God uh, at Mount Sinai, and Moses uh, has taken the entire burden of shepherding the entire nation upon himself. Hundreds of thousands of people all looking to him for soul eldership. Now, the first mention of elders uh, is in Exodus 3, actually. Moses is told by God to go to the elders of Israel, and they were then to go together to Pharaoh, Moses and the elders, to demand that Pharaoh let his people go. But as far as beyond uh, that and this kind of more biblical office of elder, this is the beginning. Now Jethro's advice, Moses' father-in-law's advice, um, is to 
not do it. The work is too heavy for him and to gather other faithful men, men who fear God, men who are trustworthy, and um, place such men over the various numbers of God's people. And uh, Moses has the faith to listen to his father-in-law. I think this is incredible, that faith, that humble faith. Moses listens, establishes uh, these men, places them in Deuteronomy 1, 15 to 16. These men are called heads over God's people, leaders and commanders. This is the beginning of eldership. So we can learn a lot about eldership here. Let me just take a moment and describe a few terms for you if I can. God's word proscribes very clearly how each local church is to be governed. It's, it's, it's unmistakable. There are two main offices in the Bible, elders and deacons. Elders, as I read earlier in Acts chapter 6, are um, over God's people generally. They're the shepherds given to take care of everything in the life of the church. They have actual authority and responsibility from God over the local church. Uh, And deacons have real responsibility and authority, but mainly under the elders over the physical care of God's people, over the building and the needs of God's people, financial and house repair and so on, focusing particularly on those within the body of Christ who, have most, who are most in need, widows, orphans, hurting families, and so on. Those are the two main offices in the Bible. Every church is supposed to have elders, and every church is supposed to have deacons. Those terms matter. In some Baptist church churches, you call the deacons elders, and, and then you only have these deacons, which are really elders, and so it really confuses people, but lovingly they're wrong. You can read a whole history on how that came to be. In, in the beginning of Baptists, they didn't do that. They had elders and deacons, and over time it um, slid away from God's word. So two offices... Elders and deacons. Elders are not deacons, and deacons are not elders. They're different. They together shepherd God's people. Now, among elders in 1 Timothy 5.17, which we'll get to in later sermons, it seems like you have a distinction among the elders. I think you're aware of this. We typically call pastors and elders. They're all elders. Uh, Pastors are those who are given to the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And we see this distinction being made in 1 Timothy 5, 17. So we don't want to be dogmatic about it. There, this is disputed whether there's kind of this distinction among elders. There's some who say, no, there's only elders, and, and we shouldn't say pastors and elders or shepherding elders or, or, or teaching elders and lay elders. And then others say, no, there's, there's actually kind of three offices in the church. You have teaching elders, shepherding or lay elders, and deacons. I I don't know which one's right. Um, But it looks like there's some kind of distinction among the elders. Now, that distinction doesn't utterly separate pastors from lay elders. 
Pastors are just elders. When we're in an elder meeting, pastors have the same voice as every other elder and the same vote as every other elder. But there seems to be this distinction. I just want to make that plain because many of you come from various denominations and various backgrounds and it's all confused what the governance of the church is supposed to be. But scripture is so plain on this. It really is very, very plain. Um, We have elders and deacons, and among the elders of those who are typically pastors or teaching, preaching elders, and those who are lay elders or shepherding elders. All right? Everybody good with that? Any disagreement? Too bad. All right? So, a number of people got angry with me a few years ago when I confessed the sin of our church of not having deacons. Was that a sin? Of course. The Bible tells us we should have deacons, and we didn't. It was a sin of omission. It was still wrong to be disobedient to something that God says we're to do. And so I bring that up to say, I think we've been repentant over that. We installed deacons. Praise God. That takes faith. Good work, Pine Grove. Good job. Because God has built his church. And he decides how we're to be led. And who are we to think otherwise? So in many churches, pride is seen in how they govern the church apart from how God has said in his word. We need to humbly receive how God has said to govern his church. So elders and deacons, and among the elders, there is often a distinction between preaching, teaching elders, and lay shepherding, sometimes called ruling elders. Now let's go to this text. I just want to draw out a few important points that set the beginning of eldership. In 821, Jethro's advice is moreover to look for able men. In verse 25, Moses chose able men. And so these kind of Shepherds, or what Deuteronomy 1 will call commanders, rulers, are to be male. In 1 Timothy 2, 12-13, I do not put a woman to teach or exercise authority over man, whether she is man or quiet. And that prohibition on women, biological females, from teaching or exercise of authority, isn't arbitrary. It isn't like God just said, just going to have men do this and women can't. Parents do that sometimes, right? You tell your kid to do something, they say, why? And you don't have a good reason just because I said it. God actually gives the reason in 1 Timothy 3, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. The creation order, reflection of the Trinitarian order, matters. God is very intentional in everything he does and how he created mankind Adam first and then Eve, sets the tone, the, the hierarchical ordering of life, even life in the church. And so God-given sex of male is required to serve as an elder. Second, you'll notice that that term for male there in verses 21 and 25 is Plural. Plural. What wasn't good 
and what Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, is gently and wisely rebuking his son-in-law for is for taking upon himself singularity in leadership. God ordains plurality in eldership. It wasn't good for Moses. It wasn't good for God's people, for Moses to be the sole shepherds, or the sole shepherd, the singular shepherd. And so Jethro outlines this scheme, I guess, I mean in the positive sense, of placing men over people as chiefs, plural, of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and tens. Let them, in verse 22, it's plurality. This idea, this principle of plurality is carried over into the, new ter- church, in, in, into the church. Every instance of elders in the New Testament is plural. Titus 1.5, appoint elders in every city. In Acts 14.23, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders in every church. The stated reason for this in Exodus 15 is the heavy burden of the work. It's too much for one man. And yet, we also will find in coming weeks that another main reason for plurality in leadership in the church is because of the doctrine of sin. Because one man with that much authority can tend to corrupt that man. And he has no checks on him by others of like authority when he does things that are outside of God's word. And so, to, to take this to the discussion of um, our new bylaws and the idea of having perpetual eldership, the biblical safeguard to tyranny among the elders is the plurality of eldership. That is the check. There's others, but that is the main check God has given so that one man or a smaller group of men or women doesn't try to usurp and use ungodly, harmful authority in the church. And so, the church will always need men and women with godly backbone to stand up to others who are either just proposing things that are unwise or proposing things that are unbiblical to say no to them. If I can just talk about our eldership, we function like that right now. Um, we say no to each other when it's either we just think a bad idea. I, I don't think we've floated any unbiblical ideas that I'm aware of, but we just think it's wise, there's not the right time. And amongst our plurality, the way it works well is we say no to each other. Or sometimes a proposal that seems good is voted down. We're okay with that. That's what God has given the plurality of eldership for. So, male plurality. Male plurality. The next thing to note in these verses are the qualifications that Jethro sets down. Again in verse 21. 
look for able men. So note that word able. Um, men who fear God. Oh, 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 I missed one. Able men from all the people who fear God. And then the fear of God is defined as trustworthy men who hate a bribe. So Moses, we know, wasn't a sinless man. But he was a godly and faithful man. Numbers 12.7 talks about how there's no more faithful man in Israel than Moses. But he wasn't sinless. And so when we talk about men who fear God, who are trustworthy, hate a bribe, we're not talking about sinless men. When we look at the um, character or the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 for elders, which we'll do, it's men above reproach, men of godly character, but not sinless men. Men that you as a younger Christian should pattern your life on. And so the qualifications here and in other places in Scripture for elders are about Christian character. That they fear God. That they're trustworthy and honest. That there's nothing in their life that is you know, so sinfully heinous that it would cause scandal to the church or to Christ. And so these men will sin and they should be being repentant of their sin, but there's no sin in their life that you know, calls into question their ability to lead God's people. I, I wanted to draw out from all the people because eldership in the church isn't like going on indeed.com and posting it. They, elders will always come from typically within the church, accepting maybe the office of pastor, of teaching and preaching. But these will be homegrown men, men known. Men who are disciples of Jesus, who are members of the church, that we know well enough to, to know their character. In 1 Timothy 3, verses 4 and 5, part of that character is seen in how he leads his family. That his family is well managed, that we'll know him well enough and know the inner, the inner workings of his own household. That's how well we'll know these men. Because how a man is shepherding his family is the best indication for how to shepherd the church. And we see that character in the um, laboratory of the family, if you will. Now he also says able men. In Deuteronomy 1.13 it says, Choose wise men, understanding and experienced. The work that we'll see in a moment that these elders are doing is the work of bringing God's word to bear in times of conflict in, God's, in the lives of God's people. Right? So people are coming to Moses who have marriage problems, parenting conflict, conflict between members in the church, conflict of a church member at work. And these people come to Moses so that Moses can bring God's word to bear on the specific instance of conflict in their life. That's the able, that defines the ability that you look for in a man of God. This is the, in the New Testament, able to teach. Now sometimes when we hear able to teach, we envision only very narrowly a man standing in front of a group of people, say let's say in Sunday school, teaching a lesson. 
But mainly, the work of eldering and teaching is going to be one-on-one or with a couple or with a small group where there's a problem and the elder knows God's word enough to bring it to bear in those smaller, more intimate, private contexts. That's the ability. It's a shepherd of sheep. He knows the sheep. He knows what the sheep needs. He knows God's word and what God's word says for the sheep. And he knows how to bring it to bear in their lives. That, that's the ability that they're looking for here. So that defines kind of the qualifications, if you will, of elders. Male, need to be a plurality, need to be of the kind of godly character that you would want to pattern your life after him, and need to have the love and ability to manage the conflict among God's people by bringing God's word to bear on it, calling them to live that out in their marriages and parenting and friendships and workplace and so on. It's the elders who meet God's people and teach them to bring God's word to bear rubber meeting the road in their daily lives. That's what the elders are for. That's the beginnings of elderships. Now, you have to have faith for something big here. There will always be conflict among God's people. Moses spent his entire day mediating conflict among God's people. This is something the church has absolutely lost faith for. Because you have bought the lie that church is supposed to be a pristine place without any conflict between anybody. That there really aren't sinners in our church anymore. We're just all good people who smile and all get along all the time and everybody's marriage is Ward and whatever Mrs. Cleaver's name is, June. And everybody smiles and the pancakes are warm every morning and that kind of intolerable painted on fakery. And you evaluate the effectiveness of the pastors and elders based on whether or not there is any conflict. And if there's conflict in the church, they must be screwing up. But you don't even say screwing up in the church because that's not polite. And the church is only and ever polite. And, and you read this and you gloss right over that this is all about mud and muck and manure and conflict. And then you go to the New Testament. What do you see in the life of Christ? Conflict. And what do you see in the early church? conflict, and yet you're in church and you don't think there should ever be any conflict. And if there's conflict, then the elders are doing something wrong and they're bad. And I got to find a new church that better meets my needs and has better programs for me and one without conflict. What you want to do is find a church that lies to you. That's what you really want. You want to find a church that doesn't tell you the truth of the junk in their people's lives and everybody smiles and nobody's bad. And it's a farce. It's an absolute farce. All that Moses did all day long was deal with bickering. It's what parents do. 
It's what husbands and wives do. You have to have faith that the church is full of sinners redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ who are still wrestling with their old nature. And yet sometimes it gets the better of them and it creates conflict that really does do some awful things in people's lives. And God has given you elders to help you deal with it. This is what I'm going to do in the next sermon. I'm just giving you a preview. The work of elders from the very beginning of Exodus 18 is to help you deal with the muck of your life. To help you deal with the poo. Elders get dirty. That's their job. They get down with you in your muck that you don't want to tell anybody about because you're so ashamed of it. And you're supposed to have an elder right there, knee deep in with it, all over himself like a farmer with his cattle. I'm not comparing you to cattle. So do you have faith for that in this church? Or are we going to be one of those pretentious churches that a visitor comes in and thinks everybody's got it together? Are you going to allow the elders into your marriage where there's just this consistent? Because that's what we're for. Because you know what happens when you don't allow the elders into the first five or ten years of that bickering? After 20 years, you're just cold to each other, and then after 25, she's gone. And if you can trace it back, it's because you just had too much pride or you just denied the reality of the sin and then you got cold, and then you got bitter, and then somebody left. Or in your parenting, rather than bringing your son or daughter the situation in your household of the elders when they turn 13 and think they know everything, and they you know, start being unmanageable and unruly, and you don't know what to do, but you're just ashamed and you're embarrassed to let people in the church know, elders know that you're not a perfect parent when the elders are given to you for those small little things. So the elders are given to you to help resolve conflict according to God's word. And they do that because they love you. That's what they're for. I can't tell you how many times people will call and say, I know you're busy. What do you think I'm here for? What do you think us as elders are here for? For that phone call. I sit all day by my phone waiting. And then on Wednesdays I write a sermon. That's what we're here for. It's not a problem. It's our calling. It's why God has given us to you. And so I really have to urge you, if you're going to take something from this, humble your pride and ask for some help from the people that God has most placed in your life to get it. Now, it doesn't always have to be an elder. There may be other godly men and godly women, godly church fathers and godly church mothers who don't have the office of elder that God has placed in your life that you can go to, all right? This isn't always the elders. And the, one of the reasons God has given you a plurality of elders because there's some of us that you wouldn't like and that you wouldn't listen to. You might not listen to me, but you'll listen to Dennis because Dennis is humble. 
I'm proud. Jeff's humble. You can listen to him. I'm proud. Terry's pretty humble. Sean, he's just a man. (laughs) We like each other, too. We do like each other. So notice the faith of these Israelites. That's the last thing. Notice the humility of these people. They're standing in line, and everybody knows they have problems. Right? How long did they stay in line? From morning till evening, and everybody's looking at them. I wonder what's wrong with them. They have faith for that. They have humility for that. They want help more than they care about what anybody else thinks about them. And notice the result in verse 23. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure. And you and all the people will have peace. Isn't that wonderful? God, if you'll humble yourself and listen to this direction of eldership, God will be with you. You won't burn out. The church won't burn out. And you'll have some peace. All because of this. Doesn't that sound good? We've got to have faith for that, don't we? Let's pray. Well, Father, please give us faith for this. We do praise you and worship you for your church and how you have ordered it. And so, God, would you teach us to have the humility of your son in listening as he did to you that we would care for each other and that we would use this gift of elders and pastors and deacons to get the help that we need in our lives that we might live more to your glory. And so, God, help us now as we've received this. Help us to receive it in faith and to take action upon it in that same faith. And so, God, please strengthen us for this. In Jesus' name, amen.